If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 37. And um, as you get there, um, just want to let you know that next week we'll be back in the book of Mark and uh, we'll spend our time there uh, this fall. Um, before we kind of get into the book, I want, to, uh, I want you to think about this idea of a, a mass killing. And the mass killing that I'm talking about is not the ones that have been in our news recently. I'm talking about the one that Jesus alludes to in, John, in Mark chapter 2. When his disciples are eating bread on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees uh, attack Jesus. And then Jesus calls the Pharisees' attention to a passage in the Old Testament. And he says that uh, when he talks about David, David going to uh, the city of Nob because he was hungry and he was running for his life from King Saul. And David got to the city of Nob and there was a priest there by the name of Ahimelech. And David uh, didn't have food and so David asked him for food. And the priest gave David the food. And there was one problem, uh, that there was a man by the name of Doeg who was there who was a spy for Saul who saw the priest help David and give him food. And so he ran and told Saul, and Saul brought his army to the city of Nob, the city of priests. And Saul summoned Ahimelech to him and asked him why he did it. And Saul summoned uh, the death of Ahimelech. But even Saul's army would not lay a hand on the priest. And so Saul summoned Doeg, the snitch, who ended up carrying it out. And on that day, 85 priests were slaughtered. And First Samuel says, not only were the priests killed, but the men of the city, the women of the city, the children of the city, and the livestock. And this haunted David. Only one man escaped that we know of, and his name was Abiathar. And when Jesus alludes to Abiathar being the high priest in Mark chapter 2, he's reminding us that he was the priest by default because the rest of them had been slaughtered. And David carried that grief. He went to Abiathar and told him, I'm sorry, I'm responsible for the death of your family. And he went on to write Psalm 52. There's a whole psalm where David is trying to wrestle with what does it feel like when you watch the power and the prevalence of evil what do you do with that? Well, Psalm 37, which I'm about to read, is a cousin psalm to it. It's written by David, not when he's a young man, but when he's an older man, when he's thinking back and reflecting upon life and the power and prevalence of wickedness. And he pins Psalm 37. And it's an acrostic, which means that every other verse in the psalm goes through all the Hebrew alphabets. We think that that's a memory tool, but on the other hand, uh, it's as if the old man David is writing to younger people saying, I'm old now, and this is the A to Z of living in a broken and fallen world. And so pay attention as we read to the number of references of, to evil and wickedness. It shows us that even in David's old age, it's something that's very much present. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. 
Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his own way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is a little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the day of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they will have an abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and he gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed and the future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we open your word and we desperately need it. We thank you for giving it. 
And we pray, Holy Spirit, who inspired it, who carried men along to write it, that you would now open our eyes and illuminate it, that our eyes and our hearts may see and behold the wonderful things from your law. Father, I know my sins are many and they are ever before me. And I pray that Jesus is blotting them out and has done that. I pray that you would speak through your servants, even through a broken man. We love you. Amen. David deals with the problem of evil around us in our passage. If you were to go back and look at Psalm 35, Psalm 36, you would start to see this crescendo of evil, and it's climaxing right here in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 doesn't address all of our questions we have about evil, but it does answer some. David reminds us in verse 7 that plans can be evil. In verse 8, behaviors can be evil. In verse 19, times can be evil. In verse 27, evil is even viewed as a power that can be yielded to or turned away from. What is evil? It's this posture that's against God, that it hates his glory. It hates his beauty. It hates his law. It hates the very things that he holds near and dear. And what you see in the passage is that evil is not just a thing, that, that, that evil is a power that actually uses humans as pawns to do its bidding. And so you see David over and over again in the psalm, at least in four places, where he speaks of evil or wicked in the singular as if he's talking about a person, a single person that is wicked. But then you see David stepping back and he starts to use evildoers or, or those who are wicked in the plural. It's as if he's also saying that evil will come over the sway of a plurality of people. But, but make no mistake about it that evil thrives when it uses people to do its bidding. People then become enemies of righteousness. They hate what is good. They seek to destroy. And then David actually paints a picture of the wicked. He says they hate righteousness, that they are quick to draw the sword and bow in order to harm the poor and the needy. In verse 14, they want to slay and devour those whose way is upright. In verse 32, they take and borrow with no intention on paying back. Verse 21, and the sad reality is that if you're old or young, white or black, Latino or Asian, that you will encounter evil in our world. And sometimes it might be at the hand of a person. One of my hardest meetings with a former student at Jackson State was her wrestling with the evil committed by a person. Someone who had multiple DUIs continued to drive and they ran through a light and they killed her baby brother. And she carried that. She carried the weight of that injustice and she almost withdrew from school. Or maybe it's another student. An uncle comes up from New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. 
and he molests you. It's evil. And it's coming through the hands of a person. Or maybe you're like us and we're in California and an Uber ride south. A mass shooter opens up at a food festival. Or maybe you're in Dayton, Ohio, where I used to live, where I took my wife on one of our first dates after we were engaged. And a guy goes and he opens fire. Or maybe you're in El Paso, Texas, and you're at Walmart, and you're trying to get school supplies, and someone else wants to have life and death in their hand. Evil. It's out there. And sometimes it's not in a singular person. Sometimes it's plural. Or it's pack-like. Where there are groups of people committed to axioms of power and suffering and sorrow and sadness. It's out there. And Lord forbid the day when it is not just distant. Lord Help us on the day when we're not reading and hearing about evil that's happening to others. Lord, help us on the day when it's people we love and it's people we know. I think what David is saying is if you're going to live in this broken and fallen world, get ready to see it. It's out there. And sometimes it comes closer than we'd like. That's the first thing the psalm is about. It's about David and this problem of evil. And the second thing you see in the psalm is the problem of evil is not just around us and out there. I think David would have us reason with the problem of evil in us. And I want to be really careful here. I think what David is showing us in the psalm is that as we're traumatized and as we see things out there that are not right, that it can start to do things to us in here. And I'm not saying that Christians are perfect, right? But I am acknowledging that if we bow the knee to Jesus, we love him and we delight in his kingdom and we, we delight in his ways and we delight in his word and we delight in his law. But there's something in Romans 7 that Paul talks about and it's this indwelling sin. It's this old man or this old woman that still resides in us all. And here's what I think what happens. What happens to us and what happens to me is when you start to see all the evil out there, that that remaining indwelling sin in here, it starts to rear its ugly head and it starts to kind of kind of come to the surface. These things that you thought were dead, these things that you thought you had put to death, they start to surface. And all of a sudden, we start to do exactly what David tells us not to do in the psalm. Did you notice one of the refrains repeated more often in this psalm than anything else? Is fret not? Look, I don't use fretting. You will never hear your pastor using that word in the context of a conversation. 
And so I, I had to kind of like do like my daughter's doing when she's learning vocabulary words, kind of write a new word out, like write this new word and then kind of define it because I need to kind of put this in my biblical vocabulary. But did you notice that this is the theme of the psalm? Notice how David starts the psalm. He actually says, fret not because of evildoers. Verse 1, look at verse 7, fret not yourself over the one who prospers. So notice he says, fret not because of plural, evildoers, plural. And then in verse 7, he says, even if it's evil at the hand of one person, fret not over that one person. Look at verse 8, fret not yourself. Now, why does David keep saying, fret not, fret not, fret not? And the backdrop of the psalm is wickedness and evil because David knows that we're prone to fret. Now, what is fretting? In the Hebrew, it carries with it this idea of of growing hot with anger. Where you then become dangerous to be around or near. It's this idea of burning hot. So, there's a superhero, and his name is the Human Torch. And he's a founding member of the Fantastic Four. And he has the power to generate flames and then engulf himself in them without being consumed and then control fire and he can fly. Now, he wasn't born with this power. Like all super superheroes, they're not born with it. There's usually some exposure to radiation or some explosion, and they get some special things in their system that starts to give them these powers. But if you know anything about superheroes, is when they get those powers, none of them can control them. Hulk cannot do anything but smash when he is the Hulk. He has to kind of learn how to bring that strength under submission. When Spider-Man starts to get his spider senses, if you watch the older movies, he's slinging these webs and they're going everywhere. He's trying to walk up walls and he's falling on his face. That, that all of these superheroes who get these powers, that they struggle, right? And the human torch is no different. When he gets these powers for fire, he can't walk and touch something without it not being consumed. Everywhere he walks, there's kind of fire in his wake. And so he has to grow into learning how to manage this this gift that's been given to him. And here is what David is saying. When we fret Christians, we become like the human torch who can't control his anger or who can't control the flames. And so we then, and I'm speaking of myself, When we're given over and consumed, we become dangerous. I think fretting in the psalm is viewed like a gateway sin. What do you mean by gateway sin, Pastor L? Think about how discontentment is a gateway to other sins. The person who is not satisfied with what and who God gives them can then move to coveting. And coveting can then move to taking. 
And taking can then move to hiding and hiding can then move to kind of covering up and being exposed. But here's the issue. The real issue is way back over here on the desire level. Are you satisfied? Are you content? And this is and this is what's happening in in Joshua 7. Achan sees a cloak and he sees silver and he sees gold. And the Lord told the Israelites, when you go into this city, destroy it and devote everything back to me. And yet he saw it and it says he coveted it and then he took it, then he hid it. And then soldiers died out there. They thought they were going to go and defeat this little nation and people died. And the Lord had to work to reveal and uncover this man's sin. I think what David is showing us in the passage is that fretting works a lot the same way. That it's, it's, it's a gateway issue. That, that, that once we are given over to fretting, this, this unbridled anger, this sinful anger that, it, that is not righteous and not holy, it starts to open up a series of actions and behaviors and postures that are destructive. And so you see it, right? Fretting can lead to envy. That's why David says, do not fret in verse 1 because of evildoers. Do not be envious of them, right? He's actually saying, hey, be careful. Fretting will lead to envy. And what is envy? Envy is not just not wanting you to have what you have. Envy is now I want to be in the powerful place of the wicked. That's what he's saying. Envy makes us want to turn its head, the world, upside down and put ourselves back on the throne. The fretting can make us begin to seek revenge. Look at verse 8. He says, refrain from evil, refrain from evil, forsake your wrath. It only tends to evil. You hear what David is saying? I, I know what fretting does. It will make you not only envious, but it will unleash a series of behaviors where you are out to get revenge. And so you see the wicked and and you want to and I want to now hurt them in the way that they hurt us. And the third thing fretting can do is to cause us to want to throw our hands up and throw the towel in. Maybe in life in general. Maybe even walking away from the Lord. I want you to catch the the weight of the words in verse 3. David is talking to the righteous who are living in a land that does not look and feel like the home they expected. And he tells them, dwell in the land. He actually has to tell them to stay. Stay in the land, which means if he's commanding them to stay, I think at at best it means that there is a real temptation. My needs are not being met. This land does not look like the land you promised to me, Dad. This, this, This is not flowing with milk and honey. This is not a holy, righteous place. The evil are still in charge, and their wickedness is starting to infringe upon me and my life and those I love. It might be better, Daddy, for me to just leave because this land does not look like the home that I desire. And so David has to say, dwell in the land. 
Even though the wicked are in the land, the evildoers shall be cut off from the land. The meek will inherit the land. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. And yet he has to tell the righteous ones. I know you think you can find safe pasture somewhere else. But where else do we go for the words of eternal life? If you've talked to someone who's wrestling with evil that they see around them and they start to see in them and they've waited month after month and nothing changes. Year after year and nothing changes. And decade after decade and nothing changes. They start to draw the conclusion Maybe God is not on the throne. It's real. I don't know about you, but I fret. I let the evil I see out there do a number on me, and then I become a pawn for evil. It's one thing to study the brokenness of the world in a seminary classroom. It hits different when it starts to be near your family. It hits different when you think about the world that our children will inherit. It hits different. It hurts. And we can fret. Now, I know I'm not talking to everybody. Some of you might be like David, and you're in the winter season of your life. And you're in the older, more seasoned Christian And you see things, you know people come and they fall. You know causes come and they go. And so you can look out and these things don't affect you the way they affect others. But please do not make the mistake in thinking that people are not traumatized by the evil and wickedness that happens out there, that it starts to bring out some of the evil and wickedness in here. And so David, as an old man, is writing to younger Christians, fret not, fret not, fret not. Now, the third thing we see in the the passage is these problems can only be solved by God. So first you have the problem of evil out there, the problem of evil in here. And the the, the third point is, is these two problems, and I want to be really fair to Scripture, these two problems can only find solution in God. Now the question that we have to ask is, how will God, how will Jesus deal with the evil out there? Look at verse 28. The Lord loves justice. Look at verse 2. The evildoers will soon fade like grass and will wither like the green herb. Look at verse 9. The evildoers shall be cut off. Give verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Look at verse 15. Though they draw their swords and bend their bows, their swords shall enter their own heart and their bows be broken. 
Look at verse 13. Though the wicked plots, the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. David paints a picture that the one that's going to do right and act righteously and deal with evil is not you and me. As much as we think it, that some things have been reserved for God and God alone. And that's what David says. David says, Jesus has a day, and it's called his day. And on his day will be the grand reversal when everyone will stand before the throne of Christ and everyone will be judged and, and evil will be done away with. And those who have tormented and, 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 and brought destruction upon the earth, Jesus says they will have their day in court and I will stand and preside over it. And their position and status and money, it will mean absolutely nothing that they will be laid bare before me. And he will be the righteous judge who judges justly. Not us. C.S. Lewis, when thinking about this psalm, he says, The Jews like ourselves, we think of God's judgment in terms of an earthly court of justice. But when Christians most readily picture this court of justice, we tend to think about the case that is being tried as a criminal case with ourselves in the dock. And the Christians long for acquittal and pardon from sins they've committed. The Jews long for that, but they desire more. They also pictured a civil case with themselves being the plaintiff, bringing a lawsuit against others who have wronged them. They long for justice and judgment to be carried out. Is this not what's going on in Luke 18? And in Luke 18, there's a widow she has this, this, this unrighteous man who's abusing her, and she brings her case to this judge, and she brings it and brings it and brings it, and the judge does not fear God or man, so he does not give her justice, but she wears him down with her coming. And here is what Jesus says about that passage. If the unrighteous judge worn down will bring judgment and justice how much more will God give this to his elect who cry out to him? We should not be surprised that the Psalms and prophets are full of people who long for judgment. And the Bible says the poor, the hundreds of thousands of people who have been stripped of their land and all that they possess, they will have their day in court. When God comes to judge, they will. And this is the beauty behind verse 6. Look at verse 6 in the psalm. If your mind went to the imputed righteousness of Christ, that's a mistake. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. What is David talking about? He's saying there's coming a day when evil will be judged. And your father in heaven will bring about justice. 
He will fix evil. He will renew the land. He, uh-oh. Let me, uh-oh, that should not have happened. I normally have this off. I don't know how it happened. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> he will bring it. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that it's not up to us? Your king will come with justice. But there's another problem because we're not off the hook. We're still indwelled by sin, and we are given over to fretting. And that path that I talked about, we're on it. I've been on it, right? And it's not okay. It's not okay to be given over to our feelings. It's not okay to want to repay evil for evil. And we don't get a pass from the Lord. Paul says, bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable and good in the sight of all. He says, never avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It feels like Paul is quoting Psalm 37. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him and give him the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him also have your cloak. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I don't do that and neither do you. And it's disobedience. It's wrong. And there was one person who didn't respond to evil like that. And his name was Jesus. He cooked breakfast for the men who betrayed him. The people who killed him in the Gospels were converted in the book of Acts. He was crucified and did not summon legions of angels to come and rescue him. He willfully gave his life for sinners like you and me. And we believe that for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's one person who truly did this song. And his name is Jesus. And he went to a cross to die for those like you and me who break the song. You ask me, what will God do with those twin evils? He will judge the evil around us in the future. And he has judged the evil in us in the past on his son. But make no mistake about it, God hates evil no matter who commits it. God has done that. God will do that. And so my question, if, 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 how does this change us? If there's evil around us and in us and God has 
promise to deal with the evil around us in the future, and he's dealt with the evil in us on the cross in the past, the question is, how does this change our present? Like right here and now, as we live in between, how does this change us now? We can do what David says in the psalm in verse 3. He says, trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. We don't have to respond with fretting. We can respond with faith. Think about that. That in the evil and wicked world, seeing what we see and hearing what we hear, we have another option other than fretting. The anchor still holds. We can turn to the cross. We can turn to Jesus and we can trust the Lord. He is on the throne. We can see what our eyes can't see and hear what our ears can't hear. And that is he is still on the throne. He is still reigning and ruling. And he works all things out for the good of those who love him and are being called to his purposes. That he that when men intend for evil, God brings out for good, we can hear those promises to us in the midst of the brokenness of the world. And what, what David is saying, why don't you trust him? Don't repay evil for evil, but trust him. Rest in him. And what you start to see in this psalm is everything David is commanding us to do. You can only do it. You, it can only be done by those who trust either at the cross and in the future judgment and who are indwelled by the power of the Spirit. You see, the same Jesus who looked out upon the crowds who yelled, crucify him, who did not respond with evil, that same Spirit dwells within God's people. And to the degree that that spirit is at work and being yielded to and acknowledged and worshiped and submitted to, our lives start to look different. We start to have this, this fretting pattern over here that makes us just awful. It, there starts to blossom these whole other reactions. And notice what never changes. We never leave the land. We stay close to evil. And we dwell within an evil world. But guess who changes? We're changed. And so we're as our sinful fretting, right? It causes us to want to leave. We can stay. Because we know our ultimate refuge is not in the dirt under our feet. It's not in the roofs over our heads. It's not in the neighborhoods we live in. We know our ultimate refuge is Jesus. And he will not lose you. He will not leave you. You are in his hands and you are safe no matter what happens. The Lord upholds the righteous. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. Sinful fretting makes us think that we are on our own 
And as we delight in Jesus, that the psalmist actually says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And this does not mean that if I delight in God, he's going to give me everything I want. It actually means as I delight in him as my refuge. He starts to give me new desires. He starts to make me look like him. And so when I find refuge and delight and trust and satisfaction in Jesus, guess what starts to happen in our lives? We start to look more like Jesus. And so we don't leave, we stay. Simple fretting makes us think that we're on our own and we're not. That all of our needs will be supplied to us by our Father. He feeds the birds of the heavens. He clothes the lilies of the field. And so David could say, better is a little that the righteous has than the abundance of the wicked. David would go on to say that I am young and I am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Verse 25, and we ought to be scratching our heads because the backdrop to 1 Samuel 22 and 21 is David is begging for bread. David goes to the, to the priest to ask for bread, but now here in the psalm, he says, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. Wait a minute, David, what are you talking about? It sounds like you're having a senior moment, maybe, right? Here's what I think David is saying. I went to get food from that priest, but that's my father's table. I didn't have to beg for it. My father gave me food. And I think that's what he's trying to get us to see. You're not alone. Fretting makes us think we're alone in life. It's up to us. And David is saying, no, by faith, we have a father who is generous and who is good, who will not abandon you ever. Take heart. fretting makes us short-tempered and impatient. And yet David says, be still and wait patiently for him. Verse 7, in just a little while the wicked will be no more, but wait on him. Verse 10, wait on the Lord. Verse 34, just wait. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell forever. Verse 29, that this idea of waiting is all over the psalm. Just wait on it. And I know we live in a microwave culture. I know we live in a day and an age when we can order a book and in two seconds it's on your Kindle. That Stranger Things came out at midnight and the whole series came out just boop, right? That was not how it was when I was growing up. If you wanted to watch The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you had to wait every week until the next episode comes out. Now, they just dropped a whole, you, you don't have to wait. And I think that type of thinking and living, it sinks into our hearts where we're impatient. We're impatient with the Lord. We're like, okay, God, you still haven't fixed this. And we're watching the clock. And David is saying, be patient. Wait on the Lord. He has it in his hands. And sinful fretting makes us want to fight evil with evil. It wants us to take out vengeance and to put vengeance in our own hands. And did you notice what David says twice in the psalm? Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 27, turn away from evil and do good. 
Now think about this. David does not say, wait on the Lord and do nothing. He doesn't say, wait on the Lord and turn your eyes and ears away from suffering. He says, wait on the Lord, and while you wait in faith, knowing that he will separate and get all things right, as long as you still have breath in your body, you do good on the earth. And I don't know what good looks like for you. But the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit has gifted you. He's fearfully and wonderfully made you. And so as we wait on Jesus to come or as we wait to go home to be with him, it is not a passive waiting. It's a waiting, living with intention and doing good. Whatever that looks like in your sphere of influence. We do not have to respond to evil with fretting. We can respond to evil in faith, by the Spirit, in obedience to Jesus. And our lives can look different. That's what I want for us. And that's what I want for me. Let's pray. Our Father, we bless you. We love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are the hero of the Bible, that you are the one who will bring the new heavens, the new earth, that we will stand before you in Christ and we will be pardoned of our sin and guilt. There's a day coming, Lord, when the unrighteous and those who torment the earth will be judged. And Father, you're not just going to judge the people that we don't get along with, but these are enemies of the cross enemies to you. So, Father, I pray that you would give us patience. May your spirit dwell in us richly. May we look like Jesus. For his sake we pray. Amen.